0: You know He did it for you. It's possible to hear songs about the cross like the ones we just sang together. It's possible to hear sermons about the cross. It's possible to gather in small groups and talk about the cross and remain largely unaffected. It's possible to hear about the cross, sing about the cross, focus on the cross, and not be changed. So it's important that as we work our way through this series, seven sayings from the cross, that we remember He did it for us. As an expression of His great love and mercy and grace, He did it for us. And that reality is so apparent in our text this morning. And so I want you to turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We have made it to the fifth saying from the cross. The gospel writers record that Jesus said seven things while he was hanging on the cross from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. We've been working through those seven sayings one by one leading up to Easter Sunday. Today we're to the fifth saying, John chapter 19, verse 28. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is breathed out from God, through human instruments, so that what we have here in our Bibles is the inerrant Word of God. Look with me in John chapter 19, verse 28. The Bible says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, my debt is paid. It is paid in full. Because of the precious blood which Jesus spilled. I rejoice this morning in your love for me and your love for us. Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your only son to this earth that he might die for ruined, hopeless sinners so that we might be forgiven and reconciled and redeemed and saved and adopted and justified. Looking forward to that day when we will be gathered together with you in that wonderful place called heaven. We are so grateful today for the finished work of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the grace by the the power and anointing of your Spirit to... Lord, to explain this text well and apply this text well that our lives might be changed. And so, Lord, would you just move in our midst, anoint the hearers this morning. God, would we leave today knowing that we have met with the living God. We love you, we praise you, we adore you, we exalt you. We desire that your name, Lord, be exalted above the heavens. We... Desire that your glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And Lord, toward that end, would you just glorify yourself in these moments. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The saying's not very long. I... First, just one word in the original Greek language, dipseo. But there are layers of, of truth here that I want you to see as we examine the surrounding context of this statement. As a matter of fact, there are four specific things that I want you to see about this saying from the cross. First of all, I want you to see that this fifth saying from the cross highlights His Humanity. It highlights his humanity. Now you remember that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross nine o'clock in the morning. He hung there until noon and at noon supernatural darkness covered the entire land which I believe was, was pictured the spiritual darkness of that moment. And from noon to three in the afternoon, Jesus Christ hung on the cross, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, satisfying the wrath of God, taking our punishment for us. And, and right near the end, right before he breathes his last, Jesus makes uh, four statements, one after the other. And we see here that Jesus says, before he makes his last two statements, I thirst. I thirst. Now we see that this saying, as I said, highlights his humanity. You see, Jesus was thirsty because he was physically suffering on the cross. Or you might say it like this, Jesus in his humanity physically suffered on the cross. You and I understand that Jesus Christ left heaven and he came to earth. And the way that he came to earth was by being born of the Virgin Mary. He was, was knit together in Mary's womb by the power of the Spirit so that Jesus Christ, eternal God, took on humanity. And when Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, we see that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And he experienced life in his full Humanity, And here on the cross, he is experiencing pain and dehydration because he's human. He, he took on human flesh. He took on humanity. And that's why he is physically suffering on the cross. Now, here's the theological insight that I want you to get from this. And this is so very important. Jesus had to be, Jesus had to be, fully God and fully human to be our Savior. He had to be fully God and fully human to be our Savior. Say, Wade, why did he have to be fully God and fully man? Well, if you look there in your notes, Jesus as fully God could redeem us by paying the infinite price that we deserve to pay. I want you to understand this morning that God is not just holy. God is is infinitely holy his holiness his perfection his otherness if you will knows no boundaries so when you and i sin against an infinitely holy god and we all have you know what we deserve we deserve infinite punishment have you ever wondered why hell is forever you ever wonder why hell never ends It never ends because people in hell are are forever eternally paying their infinite sin debt that they owe because they sin against an infinitely holy God. So if our price is going to be paid, if, if the sin debt that we deserve to pay is going to be paid, someone infinite has to do it. And the only one infinite is God himself. So God had to go to the cross. And God had to die for our sins. An infinite God, Jesus Christ, had to pay the infinite penalty that you and I could not pay. So he had to be God, but he also had to be human. Notice it says that Jesus, as fully human, could represent us and die in our place. God is holy. That means that justice must be served. And for humans to be forgiven, a human had to die in our place. The the wrath of God against our sins had to be poured out upon a human. And so Jesus had to take on humanity so he could represent you and represent me on the cross. So he could actually die for our sins. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise Jesus partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body, his human body, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so as you see Jesus on the cross and you hear Jesus saying, I thirst no, he's speaking of his dehydration brought on by his physical suffering. He was fully God and fully man hanging on that cross. I came across this little poem and the author is unknown but it's so poignant. It simply says, we may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. But we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. In his humanity, he is experiencing excruciating pain, debilitating dehydration on the cross. And he's hanging there for you. And he's hanging there for me. So as we hear Jesus say, I thirst, we are reminded of his humanity. And there's application for us in this room. Did you know that as as fully human, Christ can identify with our suffering? He can identify with our suffering. I I love what A.W. Pink writes about this. He writes, our Redeemer is not one so removed from us that he is unable to enter sympathetically into our sorrows. For he was himself the man of sorrows. Here then is comfort for the aching heart. As you think about your, his humanity, there's comfort for you and for me. He writes, no matter how despondent you may be, no matter how rugged your path and sad your lot, you are invited to spread it all before the Lord Jesus and cast all your care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Is your body racked with pain? So was His. Are you misunderstood, misjudged, misrepresented? So was He. Have those who are nearest and dearest turned away from you? They did from Him. Are you in the darkness? So was He for three hours. In other words, because Jesus Christ took on humanity, He understands the, the frailty of of being human. And he understands the pain and the suffering that comes from walking on this earth. And no one ever experienced greater suffering than Jesus. So listen to me. If you are suffering this morning, if you are hurting, if you are despondent, if you are broken hearted, I've got good news for you. Jesus understands this saying, I thirst, reminds us of His humanity. He gets it. He gets your pain. He gets your suffering. He knows what's going on. And the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. And so as you think about the humanity of Christ, consider, consider how much He cares. Enough to go through that suffering. And, and consider that He understands what you are going through. There's a well-known book, work of literature, written by Mark Twain, titled "The Prince and the Pauper." Anyone ever in here ever read "The Prince and the Pauper"? Raise it high! Come on, be proud! All right, good. Prince and the Pauper. Perhaps you read it uh, in school, but this book is a fascinating book about a prince and a and a poor boy that resembled one another, and they decided to to switch roles. And when this prince finds himself living among the the impoverished, living among the hurts of those that live outside of the castle. He experiences the harsh realities of life because he took on poverty. Well, that's a faint picture of the Incarnation. The Bible says that he who was rich, Jesus Christ, in heaven from eternity past, experiencing unbroken praise and worship, he who was rich became poor for our sakes. He took on human flesh and and suffered and was mocked and maligned and mistreated and nailed to a cross and dehydrated. He took on our poverty. So that we might become rich. So that we might experience the the riches of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. The prince of glory became the pauper. And this saying, I thirst, reminds us of that reality. So as we study this phrase, I thirst, we see that it reminds us of his humanity. But secondly... This saying, I thirst, this fifth saying from the cross, not only highlights his humanity, but it fulfilled prophecy. It fulfilled prophecy. And hopefully you've seen this is a common theme through the seven sayings of the cross. Notice what it says there in John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, now notice this in parentheses, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. So what Jesus said was a fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures written hundreds of years before Jesus actually died on the cross. Now, if you remember last week, we studied the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I taught you last week that, in essence, Jesus was saying, Psalm 22, Psalm 22, because that was the first line of that psalm. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was directing people's attention to that psalm so they could see the prophetic uh, uh, outlines of what was happening on the cross. But in a similar way, this phrase, I thirst, points back to the psalms. Specifically, it points back to to psalm 69 verse 21 listen what psalm 69 21 says they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink isn't that amazing we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this psalm was written probably a thousand years 900 years 800 years before Jesus Christ actually was nailed to the cross. And prophetically, the Bible said that when Jesus would die on the cross, that he would thirst and they would give him sour wine to drink, which is exactly what happens in the passage we read together this morning. And so this phrase, I thirst, fulfilled prophecy. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at Psalm 69 carefully, you'll see that it has many messianic overtones. For example... Psalm sixty nine three says, "My throat, throat is parched." Speaks of the, the dehydrating effects of hanging on the cross. Psalm sixty nine four is referred to by Jesus in John fifteen verse twenty five. Psalm sixty nine eight points to John seven three through five. Psalm sixty nine nine is quoted in John chapter two verse seventeen, and Psalm sixty nine thirty one anticipates Hebrews nine twelve through fifteen. It's amazing to see how hundreds of years before the events actually happened, the Bible foreshadowed, the Bible predicted, the Bible prophesied how the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus would play out. And so this phrase, I thirst, has messianic overtones. Now what does that mean? Here's what it means. Don't miss this. The numerous prophecies that were fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus speak to the carefully planned and orchestrated plan of redemption. The numerous prophecies that were fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus speak to the carefully planned and orchestrated plan of redemption. In other words, the cross is not some haphazard event in human history, God planned it out. And the Bible says, listen, that Jesus was was crucified before the foundations of the world according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That means that before sin ever entered the the, the cosmos, before Adam and Eve ever fell and sin entered the human race, God had a rescue plan in place. And when Jesus here is dying on the cross saying, I thirst... That plan is being fulfilled. Jesus is dying for the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? This phrase, fulfilled prophecy. Now prophecy is supernatural. Supernatural. Only God can tell us what's going to happen in the future and it actually happened. Humans don't do so good at predicting the future. As a matter of fact, let me give you a few examples of some bold predictions that that just didn't play out. King George II said in 1773 that the American colonies had little stomach for revolution. Wrong. An official of White Star Lines, speaking of the firm's newly built flagship, the Titanic, declared that the ship was unsinkable. Wrong. In 1939, listen to this one, the New York Times said the problem of TV was that people had to glue their eyes to a screen and the average American wouldn't have time for it. (laughs) You see, we're finite humans that don't know the future. We can't predict the future, but God can. God prophesied hundreds of years beforehand what would happen at the cross. And here in John chapter 19, we see it coming to pass exactly as God said. Amazing. Amazing. And so we see here that that this phrase, I thirst, fulfilled prophecy. But here's a third thing I want you to see. This phrase, I thirst, anticipated victory. It anticipated victory. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all now was finished, notice that phrase, all now was finished, said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. Notice that phrase, all now was finished. Jesus understood that the mission was accomplished. He had taken on the sins of the world. He had had satisfied The full wrath and fury of God that our sins deserve, he was anticipating ultimate victory. Jesus understood that he had satisfied the wrath of God. You know, earlier in the crucifixion narrative, in the book of Mark, Jesus is offered wine mixed with myrrh. So, why would they offer him wine with myrrh? Because it had a a slightly numbing effect for those that are being crucified, and, and and many would undoubtedly try to try to take this to try to numb the pain of the crucifixion, numb the senses that would come with crucifixion. But when Jesus was offered this this drink, he refused. Why did he refuse to drink the wine mixed with myrrh? Why did he not drink? I believe it's because Jesus had already fully committed to drink fully from the cup of God's wrath. He wanted his full mental, emotional, and spiritual faculties so that he could finish the work of redemption. So when they offered him this this wine mixed with myrrh, he, he refused it. He had determined to drink of the wrath of God for you and for me. But here, the Bible says, all is now finished The price has been paid. It was time to bring the events to a decisive conclusion. It was time for him to declare victory and commit himself into his father's hands. And so when he received the sour wine, he said his final statements from the cross. Next week we're going to study. It is finished. The following week, Lord willing, we're going to study the phrase, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so he drinks this drink, this awful drink, mixed with vinegar, to to be able, I believe, to say the final two things. I believe the sour wine, just very practically speaking, provided enough moisture to cry out in triumph. He was dehydrated. His tongue was sticking to his mouth, it says in, in the Psalms. He had trouble articulating anything from the cross, and so... As he prepares to make his final two statements of victory, of fulfillment, he wants his mouth moistened. I thirst. Because immediately after they gave him this mixture and his lips were wet and his mouth was wet and his throat had some moisture, he cries out his final two sayings. You see, here on the cross, Jesus is anticipating victory. He's anticipating triumph. He says, I thirst. He wanted some moisture so he could crowd it as finished. And he could commit his spirit into the hands of his Father. And so, never has a statement seemed so counterintuitive. Jesus is dying on the cross, broken and bloody and battered. He doesn't look victorious at all, does he? He looks like he's been. Betrayed and abandoned and beaten and mocked and sentenced to a criminal's death. He looks like he's lost, right? He's hanging on the cross. He's saying, I thirst. He's experiencing physical suffering. It looks like utter defeat. But Jesus understood what you and I need to understand. The cross provides ultimate victory. And I believe he wanted a drink so he could cry out, It is finished. He was anticipating bringing the crucifixion scene to a close, providing complete redemption for you and for me. And so as Jesus says, I thirst, I believe he's looking forward to the victory. It's like when your favorite football team takes the lead in a game, and they have the ball, and the other team has no timeouts. Don't you love that when your, your team has the lead and 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 the other team can't do anything about it. There's like 30 seconds left and all they got to do is just snap the ball and take a knee, right? You know your team's won. The clock hasn't hit zero yet, but they've won the game. As a matter of fact, when they line up to snap the ball and take a knee, you know what they call that? They call that the victory formation, right? The victory formation. And so even though Jesus Christ has not breathed his last, he's about to, The the clock has almost hit zero. He knows the victory has been won. And he wants to cry out with a loud voice. It is finished! Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so he needs the moist drink. And so this phrase, I thirst, is so profound. It highlights his humanity. It fulfilled prophecy, and it anticipated victory. But fourth and last, this phrase, I thirst, reminds us in this room of a salvation metaphor. And I tried to think of a cooler way to say that, but I couldn't think anything. So just stick with my reminding us of a salvation metaphor. Because this is really, really critical. Look what it says there in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I Notice, Jesus Christ was experiencing physical, excruciating thirst. I thirst. Now here's what's interesting. The Bible repeatedly uses quenched thirst as a picture of salvation. Did you know that? All throughout the pages of Scripture. Let me give you some examples. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make for you, with you, an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. And so what he's saying here is this. Your soul needs salvation. It's as if you are spiritually hungry and thirsty. And I want you to know you can have your hunger fulfilled and your thirst quenched and it's free. Just come to me. That's what he's saying in Isaiah 55. John 4. Do you remember the, the story of Jesus sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well the middle of the day? And they had this fascinating conversation. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Again, speaking of the physical water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, salvation, will never be thirsty again. The water, Jesus says that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, hey, this this physical water is a picture of what I want to do in your life. I want to give you spiritual water. I want to save your soul. I want to satisfy your soul. And if you'll accept the free gift of salvation that I'm offering you, your soul will never want for anything again. Your spiritual thirst will be quenched. It's a picture of our need for eternal life. Oh, and I love the last chapter of the book of Revelation, the last chapter in the last book in the canon of Scripture. And in verse 17 of that chapter, there's an invitation offered. The Bible says, "...the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come." And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Listen, without price. In other words, if you'll come and accept God's free gift of salvation, free gift of eternal life, your thirst will be quenched. And it won't cost you anything. Jesus paid it all at the cross. And so there's this... This call, this this call to humanity, come and have your thirst quenched. I want you to understand that there are people all around you every week who are thirsty. They're looking to have their thirst quenched, but they're looking in all the wrong places. And there may be some in this room today, and you are thirsty, Your soul is dry and weary and you know you need something but you're looking in all of the wrong places. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ will quench the thirst of your soul because he will save you, he will change you, he will reconcile you, he'll bring you to a relationship with a holy God and give you the hope and promise of heaven. You'll never be thirsty again. So the Bible uses thirst as a metaphor for our need to be saved. So what what's that have to do with Jesus saying, I thirst? I copied a quote from James Montgomery Boyce. He writes, Jesus entered into our suffering and finally died that we might be delivered from sin and its effects. At this point, he writes, his physical thirst becomes symbolic of our spiritual thirst and His death the means of alleviating it. Or let me say it like this. Jesus experienced great thirst on the cross so you will never have to thirst again. Jesus experienced great Thirst upon the cross, so you will never have to thirst again. Did you hear me? Jesus experienced great thirst on the cross, so you will never have to thirst again. I don't think you heard me. Jesus experienced great thirst upon the cross, so you and I will never have to thirst again. So as we see him there, dying on the cross, preparing to breathe his last he says, "I thirst." He's experiencing that physical suffering for you and for me. Now, I've got an app on my phone now where I've tried to track my the ounces of water that I drink. I'm trying to get a little bit healthier with my hydration, and and I'm, I'm, I, I looked it up and this I'm, I'm supposed to drink 100 ounces a day. That's a lot of water. I mean, I, I work really hard at and, yes, and yesterday I tried really hard and I fell short. And that's a lot of water to get the the hydration. Uh, that I need. Well, Jesus Christ was completely dehydrated physically. So you and I could get the hydration that we need. The gift of eternal life found in Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the point. So wait, how'd you sum all of this up? The fifth saying from the cross I thirst. How would you, how would you sum it up? Here it is. You ready? Jesus, in his humanity and because of his great love, suffered so that we might be saved. Coming real close, coming real close. He did it for you, He experienced this for you. Why would you ever wonder if you are loved by God? When you see the cross and Jesus taking our place and dying for our sins, He did it for you.